Welcome to Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Yeah, it really is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of my guest's favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today I sit down with Claire McConnell and we sip on some bourbon together. Claire is an actor and comedian best known for her portrayal of Effie Newsom on CBC's Murdoch Mysteries and as Klingon leader Dinosh on Star Trek Discovery. You may also recognize Claire from shows like American Gods, Nurses, Hudson and Rex, and Killjoys. This year, alongside the cast of Avocado Toast Season 2, Claire was nominated for Best Ensemble Cast in a Comedy at the Rio Web Festival. Claire also performed in Second City Toronto's Touring Company and is an alumni of the Second City Main Stage. So Claire is an actor, a comedian, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, Claire. Hi. (laughs) Hi, welcome. Now that we've chatted for a little bit, welcome. So I did not buy Jim Bean. Beam? Beam? I think Jim Bean. Jim Bean, you don't want to drink Jim Bean either. But. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I went to the store. I was like, look for bourbon. No Jim Beam. And I saw him and he was, I felt like he wanted me to buy him too. Oh, Jim, Jim's a thirsty boy for a drink. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think like $27. So tempting. <sighs> tempting. But, but I didn't. I What did I get? I got Maker's Mark. Oh, nice. Love yeah. Him. Yeah. I love the blood. Like it looks like it's dripping blood. Oh, it's oh, I just realized it's old timey ink, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god. You know what? That's so fitting because we have a star of Murdoch Mysteries here with us today. So it's so fitting that it's dripping with ink. Oh, I really thought it was dripping with blood and it was on sale and I was like this is cosmic whatever coming together for me doubly fitting because the wax is old timey and the blood is also very Murdoch. So very Murdoch, very Murdoch. Um, (laughs) and how do you like your bourbon? Do you like it neat? I have a couple. Oh, they're gone. I had a couple of uh, (laughs) ice cubes in there, but my house is so toasty. So they've fully, um, disappeared. (laughs) Okay. I have a couple little ice cubes in here too. I wasn't sure. So I was like, I'm going to I like it with ice and um, someone told me recently with scotch that you put some, you're supposed to put some water in and it like opens it up and lets it breathe. Okay. I know. I was like, you are so cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I just, I felt like maybe my maker's mark was like suffocating and needed some oxygen needed to breathe so I put some ice in it too you reach yeah. tears me because I feel like I keep going like this and then... <laughs> <laughs> we do it cheers let's do it cheers. <laughs> oh god I saved my first oh, sip me too oh that's so sweet I do feel like sometimes I'm holding my guests hostage like they don't know if they can drink it yet and it's kind of like hey I mean like tell me when I can drink it and shut the fuck up so I can take a sip can I drink yet that was really sweet that's a beautiful thing I it haven't is. bourbon in months <gasps> well thank you for like sharing some bourbon with me speaking of drinking bourbon uh that's uh First, my first question. I drank the <laughs> smallest amount, and I just started staring into my glass. I just started like, <laughs> I had my glass so close as I was talking. I took a like, I inhaled, and I could smell it. And I was like, oh, this smells amazing. And I got so distracted. Okay, it's hot. Like, but that's the thing. I think if you're, I don't know what your question was going to be. Mm-hmm. So very rude of me to just presume. No, oh, please. But it's the smell is like the hottest person in the world. Like, it's like, have you ever been Gucci guilty? No. Oh my God. Go to shoppers right down. Shut yeah. down Zoom. Goodbye. So uh, I think there are a bunch of versions of it. Just find the original and you will have an experience. In- Ooh. It smells like this? It. I mean, to me, yeah. I've never smelled them next to each other because mm-hmm. I don't usually have... <laughs> with me and shoppers <laughs> oh my god that sounds like a party though <laughs> if they served <laughs> alcohol in shoppers 
<laughs> hey, you need more elf products. Um, I will go. I'm going to try. Oh, I'll spray it on one of those little piece of papers. Yeah. Okay. Spray some bourbon yeah. paper also and bring it oh, yeah. and what your findings are. Dip it in like a pea stick. Okay. I will. I'm going to try that. Um, my, what I was going to ask you is, okay. So in my, in my research about you, I heard you say something that I connected with so much that I don't hear people say very often. And you had said that during the pandemic is like kind of up until the pandemic, you weren't really into drinking alcohol that much. And then you were like, I got into it. But the reason that you weren't really into it is because you were really afraid of getting addicted to it. Like, even though it's not really in your family, like your parents, whatever. And (laughs) and I could tell like you were kind of laughing about it feeling like oh this is silly and in my head I wanted to yell like Claire that was I mean I was into drinking alcohol but I was I always was so I was terrified I was terrified with every single sip but it didn't hold me back but I was like I when I was younger I thought Amanda you have an addictive personality I think and I would watch like intervention and be like that could be me one day and so scared so like yeah why why were you so afraid of it from a genuine place why were you so afraid of it I think I was like quite a literal child and even like the non-smoking, did you ever have that giant inflatable cigarette that came to your school (laughs) inside? There was like, they had slices of tumors and stuff. And then there's that lady Barb Tarbox. Do you remember Barb Tarbox? God, This woman's actual like given name. And then she tragically got uh, I think throat cancer and she oh. had her, research. but anyway, she was always the spokesperson because she spoke through the thing in her throat. And I was like, well, I will clearly never smoke a cigarette. Cause I don't, Absolutely not. yeah. Like Barb told me. And so <laughs> I did it. And, but it was the same with alcohol that they were like, alcohol, it's very addictive. And I said, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it is. Like I really, I really learned, learned lessons, but then didn't learn that, you know, as an adult, you can kind of make your own rules a little. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. That there's like, that it's kind of like a spectrum. Like it's not a hole you'll fall into. Yeah. Like I was really afraid. I remember in the back of my like elementary school, they were like, careful, there are needles. There are like, it might be needles up on the top of the hill. There was like a forest in the back of my (laughs) elementary school. So I was like, well, I better not go up there because if I get poked by a needle, I'll be addicted to drugs. <laughs> so <laughs> I firmly skirted around addiction and just landed in like debilitating anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand. It sounds like a direct pathway if they're like, avoid this. This could happen to you. If you have one cigarette, you will die. And it's like, of course, you're going to be anxious about everything and anything. Yeah. I was like, sure. I believe you. I mean, like bless Barb. I bless Barb. I, I have never had a cigarette in my entire life. Me neither. <laughs> yes, I never meet people who've said that, and I always am like, "Is this my little secret of people find out that they'll think? God, what are they going to think of girl. me?" Hi. Where's yeah, <laughs> I would have like, <laughs> I would, I would have dreams where I was never smoking a cigarette, but that. I like woke up, I was like having a conversation with someone in my dream and I knew that I was addicted to cigarettes. I did, I hadn't smoked one, but like now I was addicted or like I had just murdered somebody and those dreams were equal to me. Like you've done something that now is going to follow you for the rest of your life and you can never escape it. Oh my God. But I never, I never, I didn't have an interest. And then I found it annoying when all my friends would leave every 20 minutes to go smoke. And I'm like, why am I hanging out? Like, what's the point here? When I worked in restaurants, I always was like, this is bullshit. You yes. get to go and have a 10 minute break where you stand outside and you get to like feel your feelings for a second. Meanwhile, I have to say I'm going to the bathroom. Everyone thinks I have very intense gastrointestinal problems. <laughs> it's just because I need like a 10 minute time to breathe. Yes, absolutely. And I listen to Barb. <laughs> so why am I being punished for that? I know. Oof, that's still a thing. Still in therapy, I get mad at my therapist when she's like, but maybe the world isn't fair. And I'm like, close my laptop. Like Zoom therapy over. How dare you say that to me? I like, like I can't that. handle it. Say that your therapist excuses herself to go have a smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I shouldn't have to pay for that time. I'm like, what the hell's up with this? What if I need a breather? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I do hate that. I read somewhere, this was years ago, so it's probably not going to happen, but I read somewhere on like, I don't know, blog to Narcity, whatever that they're like, companies are going to pay non-smokers like more vacation pay or whatever to make up or, or you have to work less or whatever to make up for all the time that smokers get to go out and smoke. And I'm like, cool. I don't need you to make it so they can't smoke. I would just like to be compensated for not smoking. I feel like, were you also maybe the kind of kid <laughs> if the whole class got punished because someone was being a tool, like it, the level of injustice of like, we don't get to go to recess because you, you know, whatever the hell they they were up to that day. I 100%. really felt that during COVID though, too. It like brought out that oh. I want to go to recess because I've been wearing my mask and I got all my boosters. Oh my God. So hard. So hard. Where, yeah. and, and it like the, the feeling of injustice with also like the, just having to live with the knowledge every day that people were suffering and it was avoidable, but other people were choosing not, I, yeah. And it, and it like, it really got in the way of some relationships with people. It, cause the whole thing of like, now the whole class is in trouble and this isn't fair. And this is like, why did you do that? All these things. Why weren't you thinking of others? Blah, blah. All of that's so real. And most of the time I can be like, okay, well, that one person, this is why. And like empathetically argue for them and get out of my like resentment and annoyance for them. But during COVID, it was real hard. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And and also now I'm like, oh, now I'm doing more work. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to stay inside. And I'm also going to empathize with them and argue them. At, what? Yeah. I'm going to do more work here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It went into full overdrive. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, Claire, I want to ask you a bit about your career. You started out modeling as a teenager. And when I found out that you started out as a model, I was like, uh, yeah, because like every photo that I see of you, you have such, I know you're going to hate all these compliments. And I realize I'm looking like up to the sky. Cause I'm like, if I look at you, I'm going to see how uncomfortable you are. And I'm not going to give you compliments. I'm the hell. You're like, <laughs> But you're so at ease and so stunning. Just drink the bourbon. And so, <laughs> but like being in front of a, like a moving camera, like for film and stuff feels so different. To, I love it. Mm -hmm. Still camera, hit me with a bus. Hate it. I'm so uncomfortable. What is like, what's a helpful way of getting more comfortable posing in front of the camera? This is going to sound, this is not helpful actually, but <laughs> Can I give a not a fully unhelpful one, which is yeah. What's the least helpful? Find photographers who you genuinely like, whose personalities you genuinely like, because mm -hmm. like there are so many photos um, from back in those days where I was being shot by like various like old weird men, like not you know like legitimate photographers, uh, but <laughs> there are a lot of legitimate weird old men, yeah. <laughs> and I don't. I mean, to my eye anyway, like I don't look at ease there because there's something about like the person who is witnessing you and capturing moments of you living that like, if it's done with tenderness, like my friend, Christina Ruddick, who I now, like, I just take pictures with her all the time. <laughs> she is just a great person. And I love, like, we have a little chat and then we'll shoot a few frames and like, She'll have music playing. If you ever are looking for a Toronto like portrait or headshot photographer, I, I don't like, there's no one better. Well, that's so good to hear because I am scheduled to do my headshots with her in January. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, you have the best time. I'm such a fan of hers. Like, and I have been for a while and then I needed new ones and I was just so hoping she had time to do it. So but I've never met her, like only just chatted over social media a little bit. So I'm so glad to hear but, that. And like, yeah, I can't wait. And she really like, there, there were times in that industry where I really felt like I was trying to mimic something, which is mm -hmm. part of your job. You know, you're supposed to like match other, especially for catalog stuff or whatever. You, you don't want to give them <laughs> a brand new pose that no one's seen before. Like, <laughs> But like, I'm finding I hadn't shot like much kind of model-y portrait-y stuff in a long time but then becoming friends with Christina 
and taking more pictures with her, I felt like I got to kind of reclaim the way that I wanted to be seen by a camera because I mm -hmm. felt like that was really, I was so young when I start, I was 15 when I started modeling and so much of it was just not on my terms. Mm -hmm. And um, there were definitely some like unsavory experiences and it made me feel really tense in front of the camera even in front of like a film camera I felt that I mean not film like I mean a movie camera <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah like acting instead of modeling in front of a in front of a camera yeah like yeah. just sort of perceived in any way <laughs> really affected um I just felt like tense and often just like I must be doing something wrong and Christina, I don't know if she knows this, but she's been a big part of helping me to find more ease in just being myself in those situations. Oh, oh my God, Christina. Yeah, Christina. If I'm going to send her this. Oh my God. Did you like then when you, because then you started, like you went to school for, you went to Toronto Metropolitan University, then Ryerson, uh, or then called Ryerson afterwards for acting and then like got involved in on-camera acting. So coming into it with that sort of like, oh, I've had some unsavory situations and I don't feel totally autonomous or in control of how I get to be perceived or how I get to kind of like move through this experience. Yeah, what was it like then walking into these acting experiences? Did it feel like, okay, well, in acting, I'll get to get to do all the things I can't do in modeling. Or was it like, oh my God, this is going to be the same thing all over again? I definitely, initially I had a lot of hope that I would just sort of feel different. Yeah. I'd be like, well, it's a, um, I don't believe this now. There is a lot of um, creativity and like emotional skill and physical skill that it takes to, you know, people who are top models are top models for a reason as well as genetics, <laughs> like <laughs> Cara Delevingne is, you know, very talented in many ways and also just <laughs> great face. Um, I kind of felt like, well, acting is something that I'm not just going to like get sort of like time will not make me kind of worse at it, which it felt, mm. that felt really depressing about the modeling world. Um, that if you kind of haven't hit a certain point by the time you're 22, that's about it. Like really. It's so wild. Cause the emotional maturity of a 22 year old, like it's so unfair. I, I, wa I'm watching this new like modeling reality competition show on Netflix called like, um, supermodel me. It's as awful as it sounds, Honestly. but watching it and like growing up, I loved watching America's next top model, but watching it now through the eyes of like, and I am now much older some of these girls are like 17, 18, 19, 20. And it's like, oh, she's old. She's, she's older for this at 20. And I'm thinking, what? She is a baby. And they're like, you have to know who you are and, and how you come across. And, and I'm like, I don't know those things. How, are, how, how is this expected of like teenagers to do this? And you're also being asked to give someone usually uh in my case I'd say comfortably like 90 percent of the photographers or creative directors who I got to work with were men mm -hmm. so you are being asked to show them a kind of woman that that they want to see on camera or that they like their version of natural <laughs> is like so far from um from the truth Mm -hmm. And I think like when I did get, when I did start to act more on, on camera and everything, unfortunately, like that, that followed. And I remember feeling, feeling really disappointed after like some of my first gigs when I was like, oh, that feeling was still there. Like my heart was going nuts, just like pounding mm -hmm. and I felt sweaty. And I felt really like just conscious of, um, not being the right kind of woman somehow and not knowing though like what that was and that there must be some even in acting classes that were uh, all led by uh, not not all of them in theater school but like the on-camera ones that I started taking were all like older men who are um critiquing you based on 
like <laughs> their dream woman from the 80s <laughs> which was who was written by a man <laughs> like <laughs> and I felt like oh there's something miss there's actually something missing in me and I guess I don't know how to play this like strong female lead I guess mm -hmm. I just am not meant to do that and it's only in the last few years that I've gotten to work with more people who I think have maybe a more three-dimensional sense of like what makes a great character never mm. mind whatever yeah. a female lead means yeah whatever the exactly again through just I think mostly male gaze because I don't think I don't I don't know but I don't think many women are writing it and describing their lead characters as strong female leads you know I don't think that's what we're using as descriptors and so often like it you're being asked to authentically inhabit some like these oh god what a wanky sentence here we go <laughs> being asked to authentically inhabit a paradox how is that I love it I'm with you I'm with you yeah, I felt really good about it. Um, <laughs> like where half of it is just kind of being a guy, like being, you know, uh, representing a ton of male characteristics and at the same time embodying like all this softness and sort of sex and virginity at the same time. Like, And within that paradox feels very much like, it feels very constrictive. It feels very rigid of like, okay, She's supposed to be sexy, but don't be sexual. Like even in even some like voice acting auditions where it's like, okay, but bring out the bring out the um bring out the sensuality of it, not the sexuality of it. Voice acting, I think, as a woman, in my experience, has been 99% like sound like you're about to have an orgasm. Like it's talking, talk about the Tim Horton summer menu and sound like it's like, oof, you're on the edge. <laughs> And those are the ones that I get callbacks for where I'm like, <laughs> Tim Horton, like it's so oh clear. You're so good at edging. Is this a new special <laughs> skill? Should you add this? Oh my yeah. God, I'm loving this. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is actually, I find it really interesting with voice acting and actually in on-camera acting. You know how you said that when you were, when you were modeling, you had that kind of feeling like, oh, I'm not able to kind of just be like authentically free myself. Like I'm, I'm not in control here sort of things. I'm putting so many words in your mouth. And then when you were looking at to on camera acting, you thought, okay, like me, I have the hope there. I felt a little similar with on camera acting in terms of, I felt very limited to how other people perceive and experience my physical appearance. Like I, I just kept feeling like, oh man, but I am those things, but they don't see me that way. So I won't get to be that way. And I thought, oh, voice will be free. And then I get into voice acting and I personally, I mean, I love it. I do feel some of that freedom for sure, but it's just interesting that like, oh, I fully underestimated that now it's just my voice is the thing that people are experiencing and imagining. Like, I don't know why I thought it would be so, so different. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's 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 kind of a mind fuck sometimes when you get enough feedback that you kind of get to see a warped version of like how other people perceive you. It is warped because it's in the industry, but it's kind of mind fucky. I feel like what I'm kind of what I'm un unlearning now is I whoa, cool throat bubble. <laughs> I had a gym teacher who had a throat bubble the entire time I knew him for four years, Mr. Jesse. It just all was, all was like it was like Wait, his last name was Jesse. Yeah. What was his first name? Jesse. I never knew. He never told us. Mystery. <gasps> I hope it was Jesse. Do you think <laughs> Jesse? Jesse. Yeah, that's what I hope. I hope his parents were like, "Let's fuck it. Let's just do it. <laughs> See what happens." Fuck him over. Honestly, parents just doing it as a bit. <laughs> for his whole life it's just a bit and you're like that's why you have a frog in your throat because you Man. hate us Wait, what was it oh what are you unlearning you were saying um oh, yes <laughs> <laughs> what, am I, what am I at the moment I'm uh really learning to unlearn <laughs> some bullshit I was gonna <laughs> honestly I feel like uh I am unlearning more than I'm learning or that I need to unlearn more than I'm learning Maybe um, I can't learn it because I can't. 
remember what it was. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you about um, working at Second City. You were in touring company and yeah. main stage and understudying me, just all the things. And this might be incorrect. So I want to check with you in my research. So when you went into it, I know you had a ton of experience in improv when you were auditioning for Second City. You've been, you've been doing improv for a long time. Some experience. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I took one class. Like you did it in theater school. You did it in high school. Your, your first professional comedy show was with Colin Mockery when you were like teenager, like you did some shit. You did some stuff. And, uh, I, but I, but I believe that you had mentioned that like the writing sketch part was newer to you or like the writing comedy part. Yeah. And so I guess I'm wondering like, what is the learning? The writing part scares me way more than the improv and the performing part of it. So like, what was the learning curve of that job? Like in the writing aspect? Well, I feel like I kind of, I couldn't have stumbled into a better building, like Mm. being more comfortable with improv, but wanting to write things. Cause that's so their, that's literally their, their process. And they don't even like, I remember doing main stage that certain people who came from more of a, a writing background and really strong writers um got frustrated sometimes because they're like can I just bring in a sketch like can we just do this the thing I wrote and it's gonna <laughs> get laughs and sometimes you know there was room for that but for the most part they're really faithful to um the process that's built like so many really memorable great shows which mm-hmm. I think is admirable like mm-hmm. It's the signature of of that place, and um, it's a really scary and satisfying way to create. Mm-hmm. What I tell myself is like, okay, well, a lot of the things that they write start out as improv, so that's helpful. And what was your like, what was your relationship to writing when you first started out in in Turka or even in on main stage, like? Were you like, let's just get at this shit and it's not tied to my own identity? Were you like, oh, I'm so insecure. I only want to share things that are funny. Where were you at? Absolutely. Oh my God. I I wish I could say like, yeah, I really, it wouldn't have affected my ego at all if I didn't succeed. (laughs) I, um, no, I was really nervous and, and, um, I remember a, a particular night, like I had, um, written things for tour coast shows before but like main stage you're writing a fully original show and I remember one night early in process I took some uh, I took a scene out for a second run and it had done pretty well the first time and I went out and it just bombed <laughs> like it was like not even honestly I'll take I, I will take crickets any day over a like huh like that oh hurt my soul (laughs) death to me I'm like please like just silent silent shut up yeah circles all the way back around to being like some kind of delirious like thing which I kind of can enjoy but man I went backstage and I just like I crashed so hard Mm -hmm. and I was so upset with myself and then the great thing and the hard thing about that that gig is you're back in the next day and Mm -hmm you're putting new stuff in the show and you do an improv set after no matter how you feel. Mm. And that really, um, built, I don't know. I hesitate to call it confidence. Maybe I will though. Like, I guess it, yeah, it, like knowing that no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel before I'm about to perform, I can do my job. And I really am like very grateful to that place for for teaching me that because it's like having a gig with that many you're just doing rep after rep after rep mm-hmm. and one day you come in and you've gotten like terrible personal news and another day like just bombed an audition that you really wanted or whatever and it most of the time is completely irrelevant to how the show goes and often and this is where I can see how easily you could like slip into dependencies in this industry Mm -hmm. the the nights where I came in feeling kind of messed up and something was going on I was like I don't want to go out there and do this like this is bullshit not the gig but like something in my life that was happening Mm -hmm. me and those were 
consistently the best shows. <laughs> it was like kind of depressing, but at the same time, it was like, you never know what your like what your superpower is and what people like we were saying before, like what people find interesting about you. Mm-hmm. Impossible to know that. And so it helps me to know that like even the things that I might think are like sad or sort of ugly that are going on inside. I'm not the one to judge whether that's like worthy of watching. Mm-hmm. I guess it it can feel depressing. Like, can I only do my best shows when I'm personally suffering? I don't believe that. The other spin is that even when I'm falling apart, I can fucking nail a show. Like that's what you have to take away from it. And also that it helped me to sort of loosen the girdle as far as um, even like on camera performing. I used to be really diligent about like, I have to have done my warm up and I have to have like meditated in the morning and I've done all of these things so that I know that if things don't go well today, I have nothing. I have like no ammo against myself when I get home. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, what's that? Like that's <laughs> spending so much energy to just not look at the real problem, which is like, why would I ever be shitty to myself after I've gone out there and I've done something like brave. And I think like with, to go back to the second city thing, like it helped me to loosen up a bit and not feel as like precious about my mood pre-performing, even if it was a high or a low, it's like, who knows? We're just going to go out there. And regardless, I'm going to do my best to be a good roommate to myself when I get home. Yeah. Yeah. I think also it's such good practice and not to say that the second city gig should be treated like practice, but if ideally you want to keep booking things and keep booking bigger things and keep taking on more ambitious goals that fulfill you, it's like, well, today is the best day to start practicing. Like, okay, I'm going to do my best. And some days I'm not going to be able to do my best. And if I go out there and fuck up, the last thing I'm going to do is then shame myself for it. I'm going to have my own back, be a good roommate to myself. Like you said, because I can so relate to that. If I, if I have something come up, that's really important, especially work-wise it's like, okay, great. Carve out the week before. And it's like, I'm going to let's work my way back. I'm going to everything groceries, make sure I have this. Okay. I have to cancel the personal plan. I'm going to have to put in when do I need to be memorized by so that then I can start. And it's like, great. If I book one thing a year, that's doable. Once I start get like, once you start having, you're going to have less time. And also that's, it's so rigid because it's like, you have to give yourself more credit that if one of those, if if you can do all those things, great. If one of the Jenga blocks is out, like you're going to be fine. You're not going to fall apart. It, like, totally. and if you're like, if you find pleasure in those routines and like some of them I do find pleasure in, but they're optional now. Yeah. And I do it for pleasure. Mm-hmm. I don't do it because I'm scared. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the goal. Like sometimes that fear slips in. Like I just did a gig recently that I was really, I like wanted to do a great, I always want to do a great job, but like specifically it felt like I felt really lucky to have this opportunity. And I noticed myself like slipping into that kind of like monkhood (laughs) (laughs) and going to bed like at weirdly early times and like drinking so much water. And (laughs) I was like, okay that's fine. I, a, if you're playing a monk or B, <laughs> if it's yeah, actually yeah. feeling fun, but it wasn't, it was feeling like, oh my God, I have to like give this, I have to make sure that I don't give myself any weapons. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean that it metaphorical, most- emotional, abstract. Yeah. Yeah. But it turned out, I mean, I kind of, I, I still caught myself sort of compulsively doing that throughout the week a bit, but was able to know that I was doing it at least, I guess. Mm, that's the win. See, like it's meta, but even there it's like, oh, I wanted to be able to do, I wanted to be able to conquer this perfectionism in a perfect, in a perfect way. And it's like, okay, you didn't get to conquer it a hundred percent, but you attempted and you did it and you noticed it. Great. That's all you can expect of yourself. We got to give ourselves more pats on the back than like, 
It's so funny that you use the word weapon because I would, and with, I don't know why my therapist is coming up so much right now, but with my therapist, I kept mentioning, like, I don't want to give myself any ammo. I don't want to give them ammo. And there was a certain point where she's like, can you explain what you mean by ammo? You keep saying ammo. And like, what do you mean? And I had to be like, oh, this isn't just something everybody does. Okay. Let me explain what I mean here. Like, yeah, just something I'm going to hold against myself and be like, look, you made that mistake. And like this fell apart and it's because of you and because of you, 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 and all the, all the user me, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, like, it's because of me. And I I'm so sorry that I, yeah. <laughs> Claire, we've never hung out before. And all the mistakes that I made because I didn't meditate before all the things is because of you. And that's why I brought you here today. It's an intervention episode. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just all the things you hate. It's compliments. It's, it's addiction. <laughs> it's like all the biggest fears. For my, yeah. <laughs> really gatekeeping. I've yeah. been, I'm yeah. so sorry to everyone <laughs> I've heard. Um. <laughs> Just an hour of that. Coming into projects with that outlook or that pressure on yourself, I can't imagine what it was like then when you were walking onto set or like into work for Star Trek because it's such like the whole Star Trek universe, everything is such a, like an institution. Just that on itself, even if I had the most healthy, secure confidence, I would be shitting my pants. So like, what was it like for that first day or just like going to work on Star Trek and trying to show up in a way that makes yourself proud, but not be perfect and shame yourself? Like, how do you do that? Looking back now, I guess, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but it was the second gig I booked and the first TV gig I booked. So I think... I was early in, I was in the early days of even understanding that like that kind of control and like the really intense sort of <laughs> things. Like I didn't really even know what the root of that was. All I could tell myself at that time, I would be like, well, it means that I care. And like, that's a good thing, mm. which is like the first level. Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. True. However, <laughs> it's like you go for sure but it's still justifying like yeah little my little bully um <laughs> yeah just like going into that job how do you how do you curve those nerves how do you get on set and actually like it's like the job you want so bad and then you get there I think it's very hard for your brain to catch up with your with reality like oh I'm actually here I'm actually supposed to do this now I'm on set oh my god this looks like what it does on tv like how the fuck am I gonna do this and it's, it's your second, it's your first on-camera job, your second professional job. That is a huge amount of pressure for you. I was like, I didn't know what back to ones meant. Like I remember mm -hmm. learning, being like, oh, where's everyone going? <laughs> I'm chatting after the scene. But like, I think part, something that was in my favor, which might not have seemed like it was at the time, but is the fact that it was so intense on every front. Like, it's Star Trek. It's this institution. You're in full face prosthetics, which after a certain amount of time do become painful. I wasn't speaking English. I spoke, I had to learn Klingon with a Klingon coach. And then when I finally got to set, they had these um, teeth, which they had made, which I still have. <laughs> I took them to quote practice with, and then just never. <laughs> You're like, quote, go on dates with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you read my police report. <laughs> but like sometimes when there's just so much stuff to contend with, it's like I didn't even have time. I like on the first thing that I shot, I was like, so many people are touching me. <laughs> that was really what I was thinking about. And then I got super glued into my costume also by accident, which was kind of a blessing. Like I was brought to set, my my boots had the were like really stiff, so I couldn't bend my knees. So I was sort of walking like like a Lego. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were trying to fix my belt, and someone did it this quick fix, and they were calling for me on set. And I tried to stand up straight, and we realized that she'd fully superglued my belt like to my skin, to like my upper <laughs> torso. She's wonderful. We still chat. She's very cool. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, like, because there have been so many times since then when I've been at work and there are just so many inputs. There's pain, there's the lines, there's like someone giving you blocking, there's some, and I'm like, great, 
perfect. I can't overthink this. It kind of forces you to be present. It requires so much of your energy and attention that the energy that goes to like what you said, like your little bully inside kind of gets like robbed from the bully and paying attention to the super glue that's on your stomach. You're right. It, it kind of is a bit of a blessing when you get thrown into those, those situations. I also wonder, I guess this isn't exactly the same, but I wonder like when I'm acting as a character, like that also helps me get out of my own head my bully isn't often there when I'm a different character you know what I mean maybe it's the character's bully no I don't create a bully for my you don't write her that I mean maybe one day so I guess when I'm a character there's like a freedom from that a little bit you know and so I wonder if being in the full face prosthetic and being like really uh, visually transforming and you don't even recognize I mean your face is not there anymore you don't even recognize is there more of a sense of freedom in that Totally. In a way, it felt like doing improv because oh. you have that total freedom of being like, sure, like I might not get cast as like a 105 year old wizard, but right now that's what the scene requires. <laughs> and that's who I'll play to the best of my ability. <laughs> and yeah, there was there was such freedom. And I, I really loved like the process of getting it applied. Um I found mm. it. I'd love to do more work like that. Because it's so, it's so liberating also to be like, put in this monster gear. And I got my throat bubble back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Jesse, let's get out of here. Jesse, come on. Jesse. I haven't had bourbon in a while. We might have. <laughs> <laughs> this was a deep pour. And I don't think I realized because the glass is <laughs> opaque. <laughs> Okay. Oh, 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 I do remember. Okay. You were saying there's such a freedom in being with the mask and you would like to do more of it. And you loved getting the prosthetics being put on, like getting the makeup put on. Yeah. I feel this with almost every gig I've ever done, but looking back and watching, like when I was looking for something for my reel and that, and there isn't really like, I really just popped in and said like three lines over the course of three episodes <laughs> and very, very lucky to have gotten to do so. <laughs> I really wish that I had given myself more freedom to um, just do the fun thing. I think that's been my like eternal lesson in uh, when I do sift through old work, usually to find something for some kind of real, not just being a psycho. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I remember wanting to do something there and not doing it because I was afraid of like, matching continuity or wasting a take or man it seems like everyone wants to go on, move on to the next scene we've been here for a while like I think it's there's an importance to like being aware of the people around you and when it's time to take a risk and maybe when it's time to just match when it's 3 a.m and everyone wants to go home but letting myself I mean giving myself one giving myself one take to like do the thing I want to do and if it's not great okay. Like there was, there are so many other takes that are unusable because there was a weird light or something. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I can be the weird light. Yeah. If they get one, you get one. Yeah, totally. And I always fear regretting some doing something like making a choice, saying something, doing something. But when I really think back and not just myself, like other people, so often it's more that you regret not doing something than doing something, you know, or you regret it deeper. Like I regret deeper that I wanted to do something and I didn't versus I wanted to, and I did it. And then I regret it. Maybe I'm like, Oh, was that too much? Oh, I'm embarrassed, but I'm not regretting it. I'm not feeling like I've betrayed myself and silenced myself and told myself you're stupid. We're not doing that. And like bullied myself, you know? You, you nailed it. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And I think like to like use that to zoom out also, anytime I've had to make a big like career or life decision, it's always like the answer has always been what's the path where like, I can't, I can't imagine what the next five years would be like if I did this part or if I, if I took this path. For like leaving theater school to go and do Second City. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I know what the next few years will be like if I stay in theater school. But following following that little that little voice. Even if things don't turn out like perfectly every time, or even if you do kind of give them a take that's unusable for whatever reason. It's not like I'd be like, I 
you to try a British accent for this take. Right. No, you're not like ripping off the prosthetic and like burning it on fire. Like you're like, oh Damn, maybe that would have been so cool. Oh, shit. I should have done that. No. Claire, the institution. The institution would have been so mad. Oh man. But I mean, yeah, it's like, what are you? You're like, oh, I wish that I would have moved my hand this way and looked at him a little differently. Yeah. Like when you really say it out loud or if, or if a friend said, I wanted to try this thing, you're not gonna be like, wow, that's from, are you crazy? That's out of left field. You would have been like, yeah, maybe that would have been interesting. Let's try. You know, I had such a good chat with uh, my friend Frankie the other day, Frankie Filiomeni. He's got an EP coming up very soon. He's very talented. But he and I were talking about our dreams and I was like, okay, we were just on a walk and I was like, tell, tell me like one of your wildest career dreams. And he did. And I was like, well, that is going to happen like next year. Like, <laughs> and not even just like in a being a good friend way. Like I was like, that's the biggest one. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And then he was like, well, party. screw you. Like your turn. And then I told him one of mine and he was like, well, duh. Like <laughs> we both kind of. It's like that, like when you say out loud what you wanted to do in that moment, yeah. like, I wish I kind of raised my voice when I said that line. Like, yeah, maybe you should have, because that was what was in your gut. Like, it wasn't that big of a swing. It really was. It was. Yeah. For me, like saying it out loud to somebody, to myself or writing it down, because I find when it's in the echo chamber of just my brain, it seems so much crazier or so much bigger, so much out of reach. And if I just write it down or if I say it to somebody, yeah, that reaction, like you and Frankie had to each other of like, wait, but that's it. Like dream a little bigger, like do go further. You know, what happens when you get that? You have nothing else? Like, yeah, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute loser. Dream bigger. Dream bigger, loser. God, you're already so accomplished. That's so within your grasp. But I want to say grasp and reach. That was what happened there. Grasp. It's interesting that you say this, though, because when I was researching you, I was kind of blown away by your ability to, like, listen to that little voice and just take risks. <laughs> you know, just just put the cup in front of your face and hide. But truly, like, leaving school early, like, after only two years to go to Second City, leaving Second City, like, making these choices where some people might, someone like me might stay at Second City till they're like, we're getting a restraining order, get out. Or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or even like, I learned that at 18, you did a solo trip to Europe. Like, where is this like boldness? Where is this confidence? Where does, how do you, where does that come from in you? That's just like, I want to do this thing. And I believe that therefore I can do it. I'm going to, or at least I'm going to go after it. I think like you, I, what you're saying earlier, like I, I'm so afraid of regretting anything and it feels I don't know, not to get like too dark, but I feel like I've had a lot of reminders quite early in my life that uh, you have no idea how much time you're going to get. Which is like, I don't know, what am I saying? Like live every day to its <laughs> I'm actually, I'm genuinely very, very lucky I'm here. And mm -hmm. I, I think... I try when I uh, can to let that guide my decisions. Mm. I think that's a healthy use of fear. You know, how we're like, oh, we're so afraid that we're going to have ammo against ourselves. I'm a little bit of a math girl, like on a bell curve. It's like, if you don't have enough, you're not going to do anything. If you have too much, you're going to be fucked. But right in the middle, a little bit of stress is good. A little bit is of that what a bell curve is good. Is? Yeah. Oh, I never took math 30. Uh, <laughs> you know what I just realized? I don't think that is a bell curve. <laughs> no. Wait. Performance would be horrible. Oh, no. No, no, it is. If it's a graph of performance and stress. Okay. Listeners. Performance is going to be on the y-axis, which is the vertical one. And then um, stress level. I don't know which is which. But basically, picture a bell. It's an upside down U. Yeah. Picture, I'm picturing that bell. And like at the bottom where the tip or on the left side, when the bottom, when the tip is at the bottom, I can't even talk. I've had a little bit of ribbon. Then like your performance is low. Your performance sucks because you have too much stress, but then your performance gets better. I am, I am doubting myself so hard, but I do know, listen, sh sh shut up with the graph. 
there's no more graph. No, no I bell. love the graph. The graph. I was okay. just starting to know to learn. Okay. And I want to teach you so hard. Like I want to be Mr. Jesse. And I'm just like, am I saying this right? I literally can hear my partner who has had no bourbon. And I'm, I'm almost like, is this a bell curve? Okay. Performance is low when stress is low. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 If you have no stress at the beginning, then your performance is low and it sucks. As stress increases, you go up the bell, your performance gets better. But then once the stress gets even more, we're on the x-axis, keep going to the right, then your performance is going to go down. Why am I, why is my bell curve like I'm giving a hand job? <laughs> it's, it so, just, wow. it's yeah. a little girthy and I'm drawing it like a the big marker. You're just like edging it. You're not, you haven't gotten near the, you know. No, the- I actually. I'm, I'm metaphorically edging around my face and we're not it's better not you know especially if you're doing voice you gotta that that's what we've learned that's what we've learned it's all on a bell curve basically I think that is a healthy version of fear is what I'm trying to say Definitely. Uh, <laughs> I think I wouldn't have known what you meant unless we did the graph <laughs> unless you had this whole situation yeah. Oh, I God. also learned something to try with a partner at some point. So that's <laughs> really exciting. Just sort of circle your head with it. It's kind of, I used to tutor math. Not anymore. It's been a while. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I would love to do some, um, to, to end our time together just for our first date. I know. I know. So <laughs> your face, you're like, Meh. I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. I I call them rapid fire and it's like I'm ready. Take as much time as you want, Claire. Should I slam the rest of this? I like never party. You never what? Like party enough in my life. I always forget to party. (laughs) Oh my god, like kind of me too. Yeah, okay, we're slamming it for rapid fire. Okay, slamming it for rapid fire. (laughs) Oh wow, my mouth is on fire. Look at my lips. Oh, oh no, that was a regret. That was because I was like, my lips look so weird on camera. And then I like dotted on some lipstick and was like, I regret this. And then it's like rubbed it off beforehand. Anyway. Perfect. It's a perfect tint. I also didn't need to tell you any of that. What? <laughs> this is the eraser. You wonder. Yeah, okay, that's the social eraser. <laughs> that didn't happen. Okay. None of that happened. Social eraser. Yeah. That would be the superpower I'd want is that I could just take back the last thing I just said. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, Claire, do you know how many hours I've edited myself fucking talking on this thing? I would love that superpower to most, most things. Actually, last time I saw you, um, which was at the Avocado Toast season two premiere. And I would like to erase my entire conversation with Nilu Handa. I would like to, re- I would like to erase all of my conversations with Nilu. I think Nilu right. is so wonderful. And I'm always a fucking weirdo in front. I can't, I get too, I don't know what's wrong with me. Sure, Nilu loves you. She's lovely. Oh, I don't know if she loves me. She's lovely though. She's been nothing but kind and wonderful and generous to me, but I don't know what it is. I think she's so cool. I, I constantly, you know, when you float above your body, I've never had a conversation with her where I'm in my body. I'm always floating above being like, shut up. It just walk away. Like it's over. It's okay. You don't have to keep it going. And I do that voice that, and (laughs) you know what I catch myself doing in those situations is I end up, um, something I trying to work on is like, not being like, here's everything that ever happened to me that was weird or sad. Like whenever I'm like, I want you, it's something like I want to, I want to create a bond. It's mm. always with someone who I like deeply respect. And then I'm like, I want you to know that you're safe. You're safe with me. So here's like everything weird I've ever thought or anything sad that I've ever. <laughs> <laughs> like to give them permission to show up as their full self. Yeah, yeah, I guess I feel like I'm going to realize in a few years, that's not what it's about, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you actually after the premiere with Susan, oh, it's like all coming full circle with Susan Wasick, 
went to comedy bar ran into you at comedy bar you had that gorgeous blazer that i have since bought a copy of and i think of you every time it's not as cool and it's not like a cool vintage one but i think of you like every time i wear it which is maybe so weird but i do i'm like oh my god i hope i run into claire today that was my dad's in the 80s so full cred to trevor mcconnell for that one it, oh i loved it and that was a conversation where during, I was like, oh my God, I'm talking to Claire. Like, this is so great. And <laughs> truly, and I was like, okay, I I actively, because it was right after the Nilu interaction, which like to everyone else watching, it was just a normal interaction, small talk and like lovely, whatever left. To me, I was like, why did you do that every time? And then at Comedy Bar, I was like, okay, Mandy, you're going to learn from this. So we're going to have this conversation with Claire. And good job. You're you're being yourself. You're not being too much. You don't need to compensate. And then just know when it's over and let her leave. Don't loop her in. And <laughs> I came up to you. I wanted to talk to you. Okay. But we're all a little delusional. And so I didn't clock that. Oh that's very cute. Oh, that's cute. You want to talk to me? Okay. No, I, I backed the bourbon. And now I'm realizing I'm going to get too sentimental. I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> we're going to end up crying. <laughs> yeah, not rapid fire. God, rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. We're back. Here we go. Rapid fire number one. You often act in shows that are either set in the past or that are futuristic. Would you say that you're an old soul or ahead of your time? I'd say uh, I'm, um, uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say thank you for having me on these shows and I um don't know what I'd do without you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe you feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Can we start the rapid round again? Yeah, starting over. Rapid fire, number one. Do you want me to skip that question? I for some reason it's breaking my brain. <laughs> okay, we're skipping it. <laughs> Monica Geller hat on. I'm ready. I'm adapting. Rapid fire number one. Do 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 do. It's like, and who wants to be a millionaire? Do you prefer improv auditions or scripted auditions? What do you feel more comfortable? For an audition, scripted. Scripted. Love it. Okay. In 2019, you were on Family Feud Canada with the cast of Murdoch Mysteries, and you got to compete in the lightning round. And when you were asked, name a word to describe cold weather, you said, bad so claire three years later name a word to describe cold weather <laughs> i'm so sorry to my whole country for letting <laughs> you guys down and um uh frigid <laughs> that's perfect I really, i've really replayed that moment so many times in my in my head and i frigid would have been the thing in that moment is all i could think was shitty and i was like don't say shitty on cbc yeah. And then I saw it. Then that's. You know what though? Like, spoiler alert, you guys got it. Oh my God. We really did. Who cares? And you created a wonderful moment of entertainment. Yep. So, couldn't have written it better. I w I'm glad you said bad instead of frigid. Truly. <laughs> that's so And yeah. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Frigid it was the number one answer. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. You love old abandoned buildings. What is your favorite abandoned building around the world? All around the whole world? Or you know, your neighborhood? Whatever's easier. <laughs> like whatever you want. saw my eyes starting <laughs> to cross. Um, I have very fond memory of the summer that I discovered the old log ride at uh, Ontario Place and started climbing around in there. It's so fun. If you haven't been, go before they turn it into a very scary, like, white lotus spa, which is apparently John Tory's plan. Right. I just finished the season finale today, also, of that. Do you watch that show? I haven't seen the season yet, but Jennifer Coolidge is my favorite really? girl in the world. Oh, I know. Listen, there's so much. I hate how I sound right now, and I don't care. It's a true statement. There's so much good TV these days. I can't keep up. That's how I truly feel, though so much there's so much fabulous television programs that it's okay it's not yeah and I mean I prioritize all the reality tv so what am I gonna do with my life I mean myself <laughs> what am I gonna do with my life okay on Star Trek Discovery you played a Klingon do you remember any Klingon that you could share with us 
Shut up. That was so cool. What does that mean? Does it, do you know what it means? I think that one was like, you will, you, oh God, I'm going to get the Klingons are going to be so mad at me. No. They listen, I'm sorry. I think it's something about like, you will fail in battle. Oh, you remembered a fear-based one. Classic. <laughs> classic, classic Clark McDonald. Yeah. <laughs> I love. Okay, this is a little wordy one. When being interviewed about your nomination for Breakout Artist in 2018 at the Canadian Comedy Awards, I know you hate that I'm mentioning this. You shared, though, how it felt nice to be nominated because it's rare in the industry to get, like, any indication that you're doing a good job. So it's nice to be like, oh, you're doing a good job. And often you have to create those reminders for yourself. So when you're feeling discouraged or shitty in your career, what do you do to help yourself get unstuck and keep going and be like, Claire, you are doing a good job. I make something that brings delight to me. Like I make these shorts for my, that I put on Instagram sometimes, but that is just a byproduct of like, that's uh, making something with no one else's taste in mind, but my own. And then sometimes like I was making them even um, not to brag, but I was off Instagram for about a year and a half. Um, <laughs> and in that time I was making them too and not showing them to anyone. Um, I mean, like who cares, but, <laughs> but something that is completely like for me and then having people like positively respond to it is the most creatively satisfying thing that I, I feel like I get to do. Wow, you saying that made me realize I don't know the last time that I created something with only my taste in mind. It's hard to do. Like, I yeah. still catch myself even making those being like, oh, I don't know, I, like imagining some a certain person watching it and being like, would they think it's funny? And I'm like, ah, who cares? Yeah, but like, what an amazing goal of I'm only like in making the actual thing it's only my taste that matters and as long as I think this is funny or I think this is heartwarming or I think this is whatever that's it that's the that's the whole journey here is it's all for me and then if you post it and you share it and people like it great maybe you don't even post it maybe you whatever but ooh, thank you for that Claire that 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 hit me like also making things that you don't that you don't like need your group of like what whoever follows you or your peers or like just making something and leaving it alone letting it be complete I love the things you've created I, when I was researching you I was showing them all your impressions of everybody being late to lunch or you being late to lunch for all the celebrities so good I mean all of anyway I know you hate this okay all the self-taping during the pandemic all of it you know what it's fine this is on recording so you can listen back and then you can absorb the compliments in your own time Okay. Okay. I think you're wonderful. Maybe, maybe when I send you the, I'll send you a special version of the episode. And in the end, it's just me going, hi, Claire. (laughs) I think you're great. And it's just all of, all of those. Compliment ASMR. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So how I like to end off the episodes is I'm trying to get better at asking for what I want and like putting it out there for so long. I'm like, well, people will just know and they'll just read my mind and I don't want to ask. And I feel icky. And then you feel bummed when no one's asking and you're like, well, they don't know you want to be asked. Okay. So I like to end it by asking my guest, what is something that you would want to put out in the universe? You'd want to manifest to try and make happen. Maybe there's something that you want and someone listening could give it to you. It could be personal. It could be professional. It could be whatever. What's something you'd like to do more of or try or. I want to play a monster in a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's just a a career bucket list thing. Oh, my God. I love that. See, that is the specific Frankie would be proud of that goal. (laughs) Yeah, it's specific. It's ambitious. It's like perfect. That is. Oh, I love that. I love that. And didn't you work with. um? Oh, I'm forgetting their name now on Star Trek Discovery. They played like the the monster from Shape of Water. Yeah, I, we didn't do scenes together, but um, we got to hang out a few times and like, he's so, he's so funny because he's like terrifying in costume and yeah. he, he was in these huge lifts, like he has these hooves that are also like eight inch heels and he's walking towards me and I was so intimidated and then he's like, oh, you're just like me, like he sound, he's like the softest, sweetest man, I just... Aww. I would love to do something with the two of them. Why don't I put that out there? Yeah, great. 
dream bigger, Claire. Add him in there. Okay, I will. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for chatting with me tonight and, and sharing your love of bourbon with me. It was so nice to get to know you. And I can't wait for our second date. Oh my God, me too. Thank you for like having this little party with me. Um, I I feel like so lucky to have been one of your esteemed guests. Oh, oh my God. Well, Claire, when I saw you, however, years ago, long ago, when I was working casting and I think you came in to work as a reader for, yeah. And I remember mentioning that I wanted to do this podcast. This was before COVID. And I remember chatting with you being like, I really want to do it. And I left our conversation feeling, first of all, you were so present. I was like, wow, I really felt like she wanted to hear me and I felt like connected. And I walked away feeling really inspired. Like you were one of the, there was a few people that I've talked about this project with that I really uh, reflected back on afterwards when I was like, I don't know if I should do it. I don't know. And so that was one of the conversations that was like, no, this was some fuel helping to push me in so you were always a guest that I would love to have and now you're my finale episode for season three really oh my god congratulations well and also you were saying earlier like I don't know when the last time that I made a thing that's like to my taste but like this is this was a dream of yours and you've made it come true and it's like hugely successful so congratulations I just want to put a cup in front of my face Thank you. You're right. This is to my taste. You're right. And I feel very protective of it. I'm like, "Mm, you're right. It's hard to make those things. And I'm saying it while I'm in one of them. So you're right. Thank you for that reminder. (laughs) When was the last time I made something that I just loved? It was just like for me and my heart. This isn't it. Ew. (laughs) God. Oh my God. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you like what you heard and you're looking to support the show, here's a few ways you can help. You can leave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Liquid Courage Podcast, or, and best of all, you can tell a friend about the show. Tell a family member, tell a coworker, post about your favorite episode online, spread the word. That really is the best way to help support the show and help it grow. Did I just rhyme? Okay, until the next episode. Cheers.